This is Trackside with Kirk Cavan and Kevin Lee. Looking for the green flag to fly on the season finale, and it does. Just like that, they go uphill. Just like that, they attack turn number one, coming to the view of Michael Young. And Will Power has the lead, but they are three wide fighting for second. Patricio O'Ward is there. Alexander Rossi will take over that second position. Callum Eilat will fall to that fourth position. Romain Grosjean running in the fifth, but they are clean. We had a couple go off at the exit of two, but everybody back on track. Will Power already checks out to a four-car length advantage. Then it's Alexander Rossi, Patricio Award, Caleb Eilat, Romain Grosjean. They are nose to tail as they crest the hill and come into the view of Michael Young. Alex Pillow has been on a terror since the beginning of this race. Now closes in on the rear wing of our leader, Will Power. He's got it down to a half car like this. They make their way through turn number three. Power able to gap himself about a car leg, but Pillow is right there. And now we'll make a look to the inside, and he will clear Will Power. Makes it look easy through turn number four. We have a new leader here at WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca, Alex Pillow goes to P1 as he goes to those alternate reds. As for Newgarden, he's got a nice charge heading to the corkscrew. Looks to the inside of Will Power. He's going to send it. They're wheel to wheel, side by side. Power lifts out of the throttle and he'll hand the spot over to Joseph Newgarden. Out of the corkscrew, Joseph Newgarden, the new driver in a second. Alex Pillow is onto the main straightaway here at WeatherTech Raceway at Laguna Seca. Twin checkers out and he will go to victory lane. The Firestone Grand Prix of Monterey belongs to Alex Pillow. Will Power looking for a title out of turn nine. Power's got a little bit of traffic around him, just needs to be clean. He has about a 12-car length advantage over Joseph Newgarden of turn number 11. He'll come off of turn number 11. He, too, will see the twin checkered flag, and it will be the second championship in the career of Will Power in a season in which he racked up but one win, a model of consistency. And with that, 2022 is in the books. The new champ is the old champ. Two times now for Will Power. Highlights courtesy of IndyCar Radio. And welcome to Trackside. Well, we're not done yet. We roll on in the offseason, Tuesday nights, or when Pacer season starts, uh, at a time to be determined. Check your local listings, which is not too far away. Thanks for joining us. 93.5, 107.5, the fan in Indianapolis. Kevin Lee, Kurt Cavan. Thanks for joining us tonight. Josh Molinix is in our studios in Indianapolis. Uh, I told you, Kurt, I'll admit I'm on I'm on fumes. Back-to-back trips to the West Coast do not do me well. So I am here to answer questions. I think I can do that. But otherwise, I'm letting you lead the program tonight because I have no original thoughts. And when you ask me something, I will recall some things from over the weekend. So have at it. What you have for dinner? Any good places in Monterey? How's that for a first question? Uh, I don't think we want to start with that, do we? <laughs> I mean, I can no, I come thought... up with something, but no, people come to us for not wasting the first seven minutes of the podcast with nothing. We're going to get into it. Let's talk about what happened this weekend and the championship. And there, there, I know this, well, I didn't have time to make a list. There are 50 things that we can talk about in scenarios for next year that are fascinating. Yeah, let's 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 kind of just recap. We could be talking about a champion who will go for back to back in his third in uh, IndyCar Series history. We got Scott Dixon who will be going for a seven timer. 
Joseph Newgarden, again, trying to be the most dominant driver in the sport. And we haven't even started with the guys that really impressed us this year. Guys like Scott McLaughlin. Where does Alex Pillow end up? You know, can Marcus Erickson repeat as Indy 500 champion? Felix Rosenquist, where's Colton Hurd going to drive? Where does, let's, you know, what? let me think what else we might have. David Malukas, I think we kind of know now. And there might be a guy who's won a NASCAR championship who could be in the Indianapolis 500. We should tease that. That's, mm-hmm. that's interesting. We still don't know what's going to happen with Jimmy Johnson. So, you know, for all the time that we spent talking about uh, silly season and the movement, I think there's about as much that we don't know at this point as what we do know, you know, in terms of, you know, we've, we've kind of known, we haven't talked about Takuma Sato much. Uh, He's another driver that's still to be watched. So yeah, we're going to have to kind of carry this conversation of, of driver movement and, and where people, you know, are a year from now. Uh, We're going to carry that into the next several weeks, several months, because there is still a lot to be determined but I think we have to start with Scott Dixon and and Will Power and Joseph Newgarden, the guys at the front of uh, this field, so to speak, uh, this championship field. Will Power uh, does what he needs to do. And I guess, you know, I'll kind of preempt an IndyCar.com uh, roundtable that will be airing tomorrow on the site. And the question really was, you know, where was, where was Will Power's moment this year? You know, he had several. Uh, but I want to. I wanted to focus. You know, you could look at like Mid Ohio, where he spun early on the first lap and then recovers to finish third. You know, he didn't have a great Indy 500, but he went comes back the next week and wins Detroit. But I, I think I would start with the stress that he surely was under, and I think we would have seen that stress, you know, in years past. But he sounded very rock solid. He sounded calm. He sounded collected. But when Joseph Newgarden passed him, like on lap 48, he has to be thinking, and I'm sure Team Penske had kind of alerted him to some of the things that was going on with Joseph, but he has to be thinking, this guy just drove from 25th. My wing adjustment that I made on the last stop didn't help me. In fact, if anything, it hurt me. I've got Felix Rosenquist, who hasn't won a race this year and is driving for his career and his direction. He's on my tail. I've got Ramon Grosjean, who likes to try the outside at every opportunity to make a pass. I got those two cats on the on my rear. I need to finish in the top three. Joseph is going to the front. I got half a race to go, and yet I, you were listening to his radio. Did you ever hear a panic type of sound in his voice? Because I sure didn't. Nope. And that's what I told him. I I, I ran into him uh, Monday morning. Went outside to look for somewhere nearby for breakfast, came back in the hotel, and I'm standing in line at like 8.15 uh, to to have breakfast at the hotel. And I hear, hey, Kevin, and I turn around and it's our new champion just standing by himself in the lobby waiting to go on his day of, of media obligations. So I just talked with him for a second before uh, somebody came and got him to take him where he needs to be. And I said, that's the thing I was most impressed with is that I never heard any kind of panic. You were always in control, which was like a microcosm for the season. Now, to say that he doesn't get upset anymore uh, is taking it a bit too far. But I think what's different is when Will goes on a little bit of a diatribe, like he did on the radio with after the contact with Devlin D. Francesco, 
by the time he gets to me in the television interview, he settled down a little bit. Credit to Liz Power, a lot of that, who had a nice chat with him before we went on camera. Or, you know, last year when he's throwing water bottles at my feet in Detroit, he's still capable of doing that. But the difference is he puts it past him very quickly and moves on. In this case, his response to me was uh, essentially, I didn't have time for any of that. This was so hard. It was so difficult to make the tires hang on. And especially in that stint, uh, he was getting extra tire wear in that stint where he also felt like they went the wrong way on the wing change. But after the fact, you know, the next stint, things seemed to be going a little bit better. But he did always understand the big picture. Newgarden being in front of him wasn't a problem. Uh, the scenario where Will doesn't win the championship is by crashing out. He just needs to keep it on the island. Now, understandably, they're, at that point, Palo had not checked out. So there should have been some fear because the numbers do get a little bit more ominous for him if Newgarden can win the race. Then it's, I don't have it in front of me, but it's, you know, six, seventh, eight, something like that, even with the bonus points scored, where he wouldn't be in position to win the championship. By the time he got to the last stint, nobody had anything for Alex Agreed. below. Uh, but until then, you didn't know that. And that's why, you know, people say, oh, you guys didn't understand what was going on. It wasn't just Joseph Newgarden getting past Will Power. Well, in some ways it was, because you get past him, and then e even if Newgarden cannot catch Alex Pillow, it's still up for grabs. If Newgarden just finishes near the front, what if what if Power's engine blows? What if he goes off track and he's into the tires? It's very easy to finish 20th until you get to the end of the race. So that's why it was still a story. And with the opportunity that Newgarden might possibly win the race – and then that really puts some pressure on power, which would be more likely to force him into some sort of a mistake. Then he starts fighting Romain Grosjean, potentially, or whoever else coming up through the field. But no, there was very little panic on the radio. And it's the difference in willpower this year. Settling for fourth. What was it? 12 times? Fourth or better? Yeah. This year. And then you talk about all those recovery drives. 19th to fourth at Barber. Uh, 16th for his only win of the season is where he started at Detroit 21st, a third at mid Ohio. And then I would still put the Indy 500 as a recovery drive. Something was wrong. I'm trying to remember the circumstances, but early in the race when uh, the car just went really loose, I think it just poor handling and they made an extra pit stop. Uh, I think he stalled at one point coming out of the pits in the Indy 500 and he's running something like 30th. This is a double points race. So to climb back to 15th is a huge save as far as points are concerned. So even a 15th place day at the Indy 500, where for a while it looked like he was going to finish somewhere in the 20s, that's that's probably 15 points or so right there. Yeah, it was uh, it was really an interesting season for Will. If, if you've had time, which I think most of our listeners have, to study his career and to watch how he struggled in in the latter part of 2010, 2011, the throwaway completely in 2012. Uh, all he has to do is keep Ryan Hunter Ray in sight. And instead of maybe just kind of trailing Ryan Hunter Ray around the oval most of the day, kind of like he had a hitch, like a hitch on the back of uh, Hunter Ray's car, uh, since literally there was 
baggage on all those cars at that time. Uh, all he's got to do is just kind of hang around and he tries to pass Hunter Ray and crashes. And that's the end of that power or Hunter Ray goes on to do what he needs to do. That's all, you know, well-documented. And he came back in 14 to win the championship, but you know, we've talked a lot, uh, maybe not seriously about, you know, what's left for willpower in terms of how much longer does the team keep him? You know, they've got young guys who are options. We've talked about some of those over the last three or four years. You know, even I can remember, you know, earlier this year, maybe last year, we were talking about, you know, is this contract kind of the last one for willpower? Sure. It doesn't feel like that now. It feels like he's driving as well as, as anything. And, you know, the team wins 10 of the 17 races and arguably uh, could have won this one if it wasn't for one car on the racetrack. Uh, so I think Will Powers, you know, we talk about these numbers. He passes Mario Andretti for all-time polls at 68. You know, he felt like going into the year that was going to be kind of a struggle to get to because he wasn't as, as effective in winning polls. And guys gotten kind of closer in single-lap qualifying. And, you know, it just, it just didn't feel like Power had a lot of momentum if you looked at it maybe at the end of last year or, you know, into the off season, I think we all talk ourselves into into trouble uh, for for various teams and drivers and so forth. But now he looks like he could be there another three or four years. That was the other thing I said to Will yesterday morning: is you're stuck with us for a while because you're going to get a new contract. And and I said, you know, and I think you are already on that way anyway. I think Roger mentioned this to uh, a reporter in a published story over the last few days that we've got McLaughlin done now. And now we're working on willpower. I wish I could cite who that was, but it was one of the many things that I read over the weekend. Uh, But I believe Will approached this last contract that there's a good chance it might be my last. And I think that's one of the reasons why he told me and others middle of last year, I'm not going to catch Mario because I only have two more years left uh, because they're probably going to want to move on to someone younger at the end of that. And, you know, by the way, things have gone this year. I think the team had already decided, hey, Will Power is still our best option. And now it's a no-brainer. They'll come up with a contract extension, I believe, before we get to the start of next season. And he won't go into the last season entering the last year of his contract. Maybe it's just a one-year addition, but he's going to drive a while longer. So I think right now, already, we can cross off one of those desired destinations that we've talked about that a Colton Herta should keep an eye on for 2024 because I don't think there's going to be any room at the end at Team Penske. I don't see them going to four cars. Maybe they would for the right circumstance. Uh, Maybe they would if they really thought that this is just a one-year bonus or extension for power. Maybe they could do four for a year, but probably not. Uh, McLaughlin obviously isn't going anywhere for a while. He just assigned an extension. We don't know how long it is, but I would bet it's two years. And Newgarden, I think, signed an extension before this year of a couple of years that I think starts next year. So there's no room there. So I think you can cross that off. And Will Power is again proving as, you know, look at the the quality of the drivers that are in their late 30s and their in their 40s. It's more about the mindset. It's not the physical. And the mindset is clearly still there for the Scott Dixons and the Will Powers. You know, and I don't want to get ahead of ourselves necessarily, but since we're kind of wrapping up this Team Penske part of the conversation, 
if we, you know, we're going to have a lot of time to handicap and project and, and think about, but let's think just a second about how we saw those three drivers in the season power, you know, finishing in the top six of like, or maybe it was top four. It was some ridiculous number in five of the last seven races to win the second championship of his career. Joseph Newgarden wins five races, arguably would have won this one, if not for, for Alex below the way he drove in this last race is symbolic of just how good he has been this season. And honestly, the only guy that, that I think consistently looked as good as Joseph Newgarden this season was Scott McLaughlin. He wins three races and, and in the second half of the season was as tough as anybody. And, and by the way, if on tracks where he kind of got it right and, and was good in qualifying, he just kicked her butt. I mean, really should have led flag to flag basically at, at uh, Texas did so at, at St. Pete was great at mid Ohio won pretty well convincingly at, at Portland. So I guess the question is, and it's not really a question for you or really even for the moment, but if you were handicapping just Team Penske guys next year, I, I don't even know who you go with in terms of, you know, the guy who would have the best odds to win the championship in 2023. I think you would start with Newgarden, but it, it might think, be the most complete team we've seen in a very long time. Exactly. I don't know how you pick one either, but I believe I've heard Townsend Bell at least twice uh, over this weekend or maybe even going back to the Portland weekend that he said, I think it's Scott McLaughlin. He's your pick to win next year's championship. Um, maybe, you know, that that's he's got momentum going and certainly he's impressed, but it's not like Newgarden is going anywhere. Newgarden is going to have the bit between his teeth, as they say, all season long, and they've all got equal equipment. Um, Ganassi's going to come back strong. They, I think, are probably going to have Alex Pillow in the 10 car again next year to go along with Scott Dixon, and McLaren's going to be better. I think they're going to have Felix Rosenquist still in the 7 car to go along with Pato Award and Alexander Rossi. It's going to be fascinating for next year, uh, but but within Team Penske, that's a fight right there. And, and he wins the championship with one win. I think Tony Stewart was the last in a, a shortened IRL season in 1997 to win a championship with just one win. So that tells you how much he ran up front this year to be able to get that yeah. done. That's remarkable. Yeah, I think, you know, and then you start with just you got to be in the race to win the race or to succeed. And he and Scott Dixon completing every lap. And, and you know how challenging that is to do, especially at some of the shorter tracks where – you know, a lot of guys get lapped or even a moment like at uh, Mid-Ohio where he spins on the opening lap. You know, yes, it's it's got a longer way around. It's going to be tougher to, you know, if as long as you don't hit anything or stall, you're probably going to get refired and, and get back. But, uh, you know, to not lose a lap at Mid-Ohio and then and then drive through the field as he did. Uh, speaking of driving through the field, I, we need to camp for just a moment on Joseph Newgarden. You know, I if, if Alex Pelot had the most dominant drive this season in terms of, uh, you know, margin of victory. I think Joseph's drives to the front, while there was some, you know, strategy and, and tires and and so forth in play, everybody kind of had the same hand to deal with. Joseph exactly. going from 25th to 2nd, 
Uh, and and by the way, he did that by about the halfway mark in the race. He didn't, you know, he didn't just kind of get up there with three laps to go and and then make it interesting because he had tires, new tires, the way Romain Grosjean did last year. This was a case he was at the halfway point. He's knocking on the door, and that's why I think power had to be just shaking in the boots a little bit. Newgarden was spectacular. Well, we see people do that when a caution comes out at the right time and they pick up 8, 10, 15 spots in one chunk just through good fortune. That wasn't the case. That hasn't been the case all, all year, which is a, you know another question and conversation that people have. A lot of people wanted to see the caution come out when Callum Eilat stalled. My, my point would be that's a discussion for the offseason. I think that would have been wrong to do it there because they've not done it that way all year. I understand if you were in position, it already made your stop, how you'd want that to be, but he, unless I unless I'm not seeing it correctly, I didn't see him being in incredible peril. He wasn't. I don't think. Uh, maybe someone can correct me. I don't think he was in anyone's blind spot coming around a corner. There, he was in a pretty safe place, and that has been the way they have done it all year. If it's getting close to a pit cycle, everyone gets to cross pit in one time. They get one chance that it's not just wait 10 seconds and those that are coming up catch the break. It's all right. We make a note who's getting ready to come now that we see. All right. They passed the other. Pa- OK, so they've had their chance. Um, and, and a lot of people that don't like that, I would be curious. So here's why we're where we're at, because a few years ago when it was just throw the caution at any time, maybe it was totally different people. but the calls and cries were just as loud as to that's not fair. Let everybody have a chance to pit. So I don't think race control can win in this one. In some ways, I do kind of like the randomness of, Hey, you, you need to get in as soon as the window opens, but I would hate to see the championship decided by something like that, because that could have easily cost willpower the championship. If Joe Newgarden pits, Right before him, caution comes out, and Will Power comes out 15th. That's it. And that's not right. But but I do think that is going to be discussed because I hear a lot of drivers saying they want it to go back the way it was, but I don't think they're going to be happy with that if it goes back to the way it was. That's just a little bit of a tangent there. No, I was going to say, I, you know, it's it's such a position on the racetrack. You know, Power could be leading New Garden and just past the pit entrance position and new garden is far enough back that he's able to pit when that caution comes out you know it it really is so random not necessarily based on you know where you are in the pit cycles but where you are on the actual racetrack so i like this uh you know what i think i think the reason from a viewership standpoint and i thought about this based off of uh looking at the tv broadcast is in this particular case where Kyle Eilat was because of the camera position it looked like he was in the racing line he looked more in peril from mm-hmm. a okay. where the camera was if you've been to if you've been to Laguna Seca and if you're on site and you kind of study these things and you're a little more adept than maybe the casual viewer you would have known Callum was in a safe spot but the camera spot, I think, distorted that a little bit, it made it felt like he was more in play. Um, a couple of people that were around me made the quick comment, and they're pretty astute. 
you know, they're going to leave him there. So I think and that's what got me thinking that that perhaps it was the camera angle created a a, a different perspective of of how safe he was. So uh, that's the only thing I guess I would would add to that. But I like I like the chance to, for everybody to come by uh, the first time and you get one shot at it. It's not like you get two chances it's not like they give it for 10 seconds as you suggested it was you get get to come by one time and it's up to you to to make that decision and there's still a chance that you do have the random caution because if someone goes in the tires hard they're throwing the caution right there regardless of where they are in the pit cycle and we're also going to see that at street courses street courses it's pretty much got to go yellow immediately especially if you're talking about a track blockage situation or difficult to get through but on road courses a little more opportunity there uh the weekend in some ways was one on saturday and in a lot of ways we thought that was it and we all had a fear that this was going to be a snoozer with new garden starting way in the back dixon starting mid-pack turned out not to be the case that the race turned out to be pretty entertaining but you had twofold. First of all, it's not a shocker that Scott Dixon qualifies. Where did he qualify? 13th, I think, somewhere in that range. Yeah, 13th. But that Joseph Newgard makes a mistake and not even pushing. That was not his fast lap. That was a banker lap. Um, and it happens. It happens to all the best of them. People are thinking about power, buckling under the pressure, and the chaser doesn't have as much pressure, but it was Joseph that made the mistake, and that went a long way towards determining the weekend. Is as good as his car is, what might have happened if he starts in the top three or four? Well, to your point, uh, I think it probably should have been over uh, because as you looked at, at where the other championship contenders were, I mean, McLaughlin starts, what, eighth, um, Erickson 10th or something to that effect. Uh, you know, Alex Pillow was no factor um, because he was out of the championship chase, Dixon 13th and, and Newgarden 25th. It was really only Newgarden that saved the championship drama story, if you will, because mm-hmm. the other guys were really no factor. Now, you know, what what makes this track interesting to me, and while often through the years it's not been a place of great passing, but it is a place where you can make a mistake pretty quickly. And if the wind's blowing and throwing a little extra dust out there and and you know, there's some corners, you know, as you climb the hill, I always forget my corner numbers, I think that's six or seven up the top of the hill, that fast place where Jimmy Johnson lost it, um, you know, you can get pretty squirrely pretty quick. You drop a wheel uh, and you cause problems for those behind you. You know, there's just all kinds of ways that this can go south pretty quickly. So, you know, that's the thing that concerned me for power. Power is out there. You know, he thinks he's got it pretty well in hand, but he's got to hit his marks. He's got to hope nobody – and I didn't really expect anybody to come up and kind of lean on him, but, you know, by the same token, if Dixon would have had a shot to come up and lean on him, probably would have a little bit. Uh, shoot, I'm surprised Joseph didn't lean with that great quote. Uh, I'll be, you know, what do you say? I'll be gentle if he's gentle, I think was was basically the essence of the radio communication back to the pits. But, you know, that was no Newgarden had put some aggressive moves on people going into the into the corkscrew. So, you know, it could have gone wrong for Will. And and uh, again, that track kind of invites uh, that trouble. But I think I was surprised 
that Dixon wasn't a factor in this race. McLaughlin and Erickson, McLaughlin was kind of taken out of it because, you know, his instructions per the team were to mask or mirror whatever Scott Dixon was doing to kind of keep Dixon kind of at bay. If, if the strategy that Dixon chose turns out to be the right one, the winning one, well, then McLaughlin's on it as well and at least has a chance because he started ahead of him because he's running a little quicker than Scott. Dixon that that he has a chance to finish ahead of Scott regardless of whatever strategy uh, they're on but Erickson wasn't really a factor either it was fun to watch McLaughlin and Erickson kind of push each other around late in the race for a position in the standings that that ended up kind of mattering McLaughlin got the better of that deal and in fact went on to tie Alex Pillow but I think if Dick, if uh, Newgarden doesn't save the show, so to speak, it might have been a little bit more snoozy, and you would have had to do some some fast talking to uh, to get the uh, excitement up. Through the field, only went through position four, so there must have been a lot going on. And Scott McLaughlin's chance to stay in the championship was also ended during qualifying. He needed to qualify in front of willpower, and then I think he might have been allowed to run his race. And the point there would have been, if you can win the race then you are keeping Scott Dixon from winning the race and Marcus Erickson from winning the race, which was the task that Alex Pillow was assigned. He was not being asked, at least from what he told me, to do anything other than try to win the race, try to finish in front of the Penske's. Now, if it was a situation where Scott Dixon was right behind him, and he told me that no one's going to have to tell me what to do. I'm going to make sure that if Chip Ganassi driver has a chance to win the championship, I'll do what needs to be done without outright saying it to make sure he wins the championship. We'll talk about Polo and his drive uh, from 11th after a qualifying penalty that might have been the best thing that happened to him all weekend when he got a fresh engine. That and any thoughts you have at Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cavan. It's Trackside to 93.5-1075 The Fan. Hi, this is Will Power. And you're listening to Trackside. There's the new champ who has already been a champ. Two-time Will Power in the Verizon car, winning the NTT IndyCar Series Championship Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening hour time on the East Coast or in the Eastern time zone in the Firestone Monterey Grand Prix. Kevin Lee, Kurt Cavan, thanks for staying with us. Trackside. Uh, at Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cavan for social media questions for tonight or just simply comments. So let's talk about Alex Pillow. Uh, he makes it to the fast six. He's out of the championship, but he's trying to finish the season, which he told me had been, uh, forget the wording of it, but not a good season. And he, he meant on track. He wasn't just talking about uh, all of the chaos, which I think you could say he... He led us to this point, Um, (laughs) but just the on-track performance was not nearly good enough. So he wanted to finish off the season as well as it could be done. He makes it to the Firestone Fast Six. They're trying something different. They're going to sticker primaries uh, because those on the used reds on the second heat cycle might not have been as good, and he never really got a chance to see how it would turn out. So he stalls it. I saw twice. He said he stalled three times. Because I said the next morning, is that how you knew something was wrong doing the engine? And he said, yep. Uh, Because the second time that I saw, he did everything he could to get on it. That wasn't driver error. So something was wrong. So instead of starting, he still was fifth, 
might have had more if the engine was up to full power. Uh, but he starts 11th. But that, I think, turned out to be move, the move of the race. He was a half a second faster than everybody. So the theory would be that there is a little bit of tuning that can be done on these engines. And if you turn them up too much, they're less likely to reach 2,000 miles. His engine didn't need to reach 2,000 miles. It needed to reach about 200 miles. So yeah. in the future, you might see some, especially if you're a long shot and you have to win the race, uh, you might just say, hey, we're going to put a fresh bullet in there and try to start seventh or eighth. Well, it, it, it happened a few years ago, and somebody might be able to kind of pinpoint that, but it seemed like we had a couple years there where guys did that. I mean, we had massive uh, – But they weren't massive. taking a grid penalty. So that's why they added the grid penalty because – so at one point it was you could have a quote-approved engine changes as long as the manufacturer was willing to pay the bill for it, and there was no penalty. Then we went to the grid penalty for a little while, and that got to be too much. And then they start, or, or they felt like it was too much for the fans. It's confusing. You see qualifying. Right, right. And, and we had one race where 12 cars took uh, an engine change, and it took us forever just to figure out the starting lineup. Then it became, after you've reached the fifth engine, you no longer score points in the manufacturer's championship. And that's, that's important to the manufacturers, but... The manufacturer still wants someone driving their engine to win the driver's championship. So the manufacturers were all willing to take the hit. And in many cases, like this weekend, manufacturer's championship, Chevy this year, was already wrapped up. So that's not punitive as far as the championship. So you could change the engine and not need to start any further back. And then everyone would change engines going into the last race. So this was the first time, and they didn't do it on purpose. You know, they're not fibbing. Trust me. There was something, well, not trust me, but I fully believe there was something going wrong. And just the fact that he couldn't get the car out of the pit box told me that there was something wrong, and it made sense. But that might be something that people think about for six spots and a fresh engine. If we think we have anything, uh, that might be worth doing. Yeah, it really might be. Uh, I think maybe the move of the race or the post-race might, might have been your cameraman who, as he, you're interviewing Alex Pillow at the end of the race, just seems to move over just a bit to collect Scott, uh, Chip Ganassi in the background watching you give this interview. And, I, you know, I'm with you. I think the chances of Alex returning to the 10 car has increased incrementally uh, as the season has gone on. Um, we'll camp here in a minute about this idea of Towns and Bells that it's ten million dollars to uh, to buy out the contract. I, I I think that seems a little steep to me, but maybe somebody's mm. throwing that out there, throwing it out there. Maybe it's true. Maybe uh, it's partially true, or maybe it was actually said. But look, nobody's paying ten million dollars for one season to get Alex Pillow. I don't think. Anyway, no, anyway. they're not paying. Doesn't mean someone isn't asking. Basically meaning no, you can't true. have him. <laughs> yeah, that I mean I could see how it, it might might have been said as kind of, you know, no way this is gonna happen, but I don't think anybody would take that seriously as a well, would we pay that or not? I don't think he's Michael Schumacher, so I don't think uh you know, Arrow McLaren's not desperate. They have Felix Rosenquist. Uh not exactly apples and apples in terms of what he has achieved and what he has proven, but Nobody's paying $10 million to get Alex Pillow. 
So let's go through victory lane because that was on my mind. Um, it's an uncomfortable question and it's an awkward question for Alex Pillow in his moment. And I wrestled with that very briefly, but felt and feel after it happened, especially when I hear the reaction from my bosses, that's one of those questions that you have to ask. I have to ask him, is this your last drive? Might you come back? That's He's going to be asked that in 15 minutes when he meets the media, but the nation won't see that. This is our chance, our last chance to see him on NBC until next March at St. Petersburg. And I also felt fine with asking him because I had already asked him the question this weekend. This wasn't new. He didn't spend a, he didn't come to the media bullpen. Um, he wasn't really a big focus for a lot of people because he wasn't in the championship. There were many other stories, but I'd had a very nice visit with him on Saturday morning and probably the most casual and relaxed visit we had had since all of this started. And I asked him some of those same questions. And I said, could you see yourself driving the 10 next year? And he said, everything is in play. Uh, but then he said, I don't want to say yes. I don't want to say no. He said, realized eh, I probably shouldn't say anything while we're still going through mediation uh, at this point. And it was also really inter interesting watching him interact with Chip Ganassi. I mentioned that they talked for quite a while in the grid before Portland last week. And I, I did in our little chat, I said, uh, I saw you talking with Chip last week, had a, had a nice conversation with him. And, and he said, what would you describe as a nice conversation? And I said, oh, good point, because I couldn't hear what you're saying. So I don't know if it was a nice conversation, but you talked for a while and neither of you were yelling at each other. Uh, and then Chip had leaned in to the cockpit right when he got into victory lane and looked genuinely thused. And he had come over to the pit box towards the end of the race to celebrate with the team and so forth. But I, I mentioned Chip before I answered that question because that was a cue to my cameraman to slide over because he was lurking. I mean, he, it was like he wanted to be as close as he could be because he wanted to hear what Alex was saying and what I was asking. So let's go ahead and just put it out there for everybody. Here's the boss. He's standing right here. And the reason I asked that, because I just wanted to put on record, uh, if, and I, I'm not in the business of advising, it's not my job to do so. But if I was, I'd be telling Alex Pillow, you need to be apologizing every day to Chip Ganassi. Your chance to drive an IndyCar next year is for Chip Ganassi, and your future rests in whether he's willing to let bygones be bygones. Because it's very clear that he has the legal right in this. No one seems to be contesting that at this point, unless there's some curveball that none of us are expecting. Uh, you know, and you see the comments that Zach Brown had on Sunday morning. It's beep, 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 backing up the truck. Uh, we really like Felix Rosenquist, and that's probably the end of it. So I think and hope that Alex has already been going down that path, and I think for his sake and hope for his sake that Chip Ganassi realizes the best option to drive the 10 car next year is still Alex Pillow. And after navigating the hardest part of it, when I really do think there were serious thoughts of yanking him from the car in Toronto and moving on, once they got past that, they can survive this. So that's kind of how that all went down. Did I think he was going to tell me anything? No, I didn't. But you have to ask the question or you're not doing your job.
No, I think I think it was perfect. I thought that at the time, and literally three minutes after you asked the question, I got a text from somebody I respect, and you respect in this business, and and uh, and they said Kevin's a pro. That's the question you got to ask. And I think you did did it right uh, to ask it last, kind of as your departing question. And then finally, I would say on this particular topic, yes. Clearly, Chip Ganassi was lurking. I think that's the perfect word. In fact, you almost could have said that on the broadcast because he was leaned in as as much as you know as as a leaned in could be. But I would add that once again, uh, as we have seen almost repeatedly from Alex Pillow, he's been a pro at this. He has yep. answered the questions. He has, ta- you know, basically talked without saying anything. I get that, but. You know, even in the heat, and we spoke of this a while back, but even in the heat of these discussions in July or these uh, lawsuits being filed, he came to the bullpens, the media bullpens. He answered questions. Uh, One day in particular, he was there a full 30 minutes Mm -hmm. asking, being asked the same basic question over and over. He was polite. He has been polite throughout. And I would uh, not cut him the slack if I felt otherwise, but but he has been a pro. And uh, I thought he was a pro when you asked the question. Uh, and, you know, and I'm I not, knew he would be that that made it easier to ask because sure. I knew he could handle it. And I guess if he couldn't handle it, I still need to answer. I still need to ask the question. But that eased my mind a little bit because I knew he was prepared for it. He's been asked it hundreds of times, so he'd be fine. One more thought on Chip Ganassi. Maybe he's not just lurking. He probably, you know, the more you think of it, he's going to find out what he says. Maybe he's standing there as a show of support to his yeah, driver. Right. To st- I'm serious. To start to mend the fences that, hey, I like winners. This guy's a winner, and he's just starting that process of rebuilding this relationship and we may get another press release in the next two weeks that says this time i'm not kidding i am happy to be driving the number 10 in tt data card next year so uh we'll stand by for that more to come stick with us it's trackside this is alex below and you're listening to trackside hey here's the other thought i had uh when they do send out that release Kurt, as we said during the break, it should probably be a, a video release from Alex himself, right? Right. You need to hear it from him. <laughs> yeah, I think I think so at this point. Um, and coming up next hour, we have uh, news on on maybe another driver that's available for McLaren to sign next year. A, a Twitter question in this shorter segment: Paul J Ingram fifty six says, rather than the repave, my wish list would be a main grandstand roof structure for seasonal sunshade and two jumbotrons behind the pits facing the grandstand. Make that a premium ticket again, still mostly empty. And did you notice all the large umbrellas? Um, yeah, agreed. And they are going to repave the track. You know, I, I still waffle over that, that that's what the fact that it's so difficult to make the tires last is what makes that race the most interesting. If everyone has really good grip, I don't know if they're going to be able to pass um, people on different tire lives is what makes things more interesting. And to that main straightaway grandstand, which was, I thought a little better this year, but is still not very big and is about 
half full. You know, that would be a way to make it look better. But I don't know why you'd want to sit there. There are other places that are better to sit. So that would be that would be fantastic. I think it's a good idea to put kind of a roof structure over there and something that makes that a pleasurable place to sit. I th- I think that I've, I'm surprised they've never had a roof structure up on top of the hill because, you know, make this big uh, kind of a- amphitheater seating up there. I know they got this sign that says corkscrew, but what if they had something of an amphitheater at the top up there? That'd be a much better seat. By the way, that shot you see in the helicopter shots up at the top of the corkscrew, there's a little tent up there. That's a really good spot. We We've gone up there the last couple of years at the end of the first day. When there's nothing going on, track activity is done. Maybe there's an Indy Lights practice or the two-seater, and there's a little concession stand up there. Uh, but that you can see the cars go by about three different times. You can see a lot of the track from up there, and it's a really cool place. Great breeze up there. That's what one I would recommend. It feels like a, a hospitality tent. That's just a free section up there where you're seeing those people off the helicopter shots. We'll get to more of your Twitter questions coming up at Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cavan. A new name may be available for next year's Indianapolis 500. We'll discuss the possibilities and options for Kyle Busch coming up next on Trackside. Hi, this is Joseph Newgarden, and you're listening to Trackside. Hour number two from Indianapolis, or at least close to it. Thanks for staying with us, Josh Molinix. Is in our studios on the circle. Kevin Lee, Kurt Cavan, your comments, questions, thoughts are welcome at Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cavan. Remember, we continue throughout the offseason. Next Tuesday night, we know as well from 7 until 9 Eastern Time. Streaming, working brilliantly tonight. Podcast will be up after we're done at 9 o'clock tonight as well via multiple uh, locations. Put a positive review on there. I probably don't plug that enough, but uh, that apparently means something on apple itunes so do that and say you like us that maybe helps maybe it doesn't i don't know but it can't hurt can't hurt all right a uh, lot to get into including indycar silly season rookie of the year this year more of what happened at WeatherTech raceway laguna seca and news today that impacts potentially the indianapolis 500 i talked about this a few weeks ago that with Kyle Busch likely headed to a Chevy team. There were only a couple of options there. Might that open the door today? That question came up, and Kyle Busch offered and answered in the affirmative when his deal with Richard Childress Racing in a Chevy was announced for next year, Kurt. Yeah, big news of the day, and, and uh, you know, this whole story is interesting because starting with the fact that Kyle Busch and Richard Childress haven't had a great relationship after they got into a, uh, a little scuffle about a decade ago. I think that was at Kansas. Uh, anyway, they kind of got, you know, roughed up a little bit, and they've not been friendly, and apparently Austin Dillon, who – uh, is employed by Richard Childress, uh, started the conversation with Kyle Busch. And what do you think, joining us? And so this whole thing is interesting. But, but yeah, to bring it back to uh, our world, um, you know, Kyle apparently presented, you know, a series of things that he'd like to have available to him. And, and of course, one of them apparently is a future contract for his seven-year-old son, Brexton, uh, who's an aspiring race car driver and that Richard Childress Racing would, would employ him. So that was one interesting part. But the other is that he'd like to uh, have the ability to run the Indy 500. He said his his uh, wife is on board with it. He's on board with it. 
Uh, he believes Chevy would be on board with it or is on board with it, and it's just been a question of his car owner. Uh, his former car owner, Joe Gibbs, has not been in favor of that, but uh, Richard Childress apparently is. Of course, Richard uh, had some uh, you know, involvement with the Indy 500 uh you know, a little more than 10, 12, 13 years ago. So, you know, there has maybe more than that. Shoot, it's been time's getting away from me. What, 25 years uh, since since he was associated with a car uh, back, I think, 97 or 98. But the point is. And then, that, and then that in the kind of, early 2000s, I think, again, with Robbie Gordon. But but, yeah, I think his first was 25 years ago. So Kyle Busch has an interest and has an eye on the Indy 500. We've talked about that possibility for a long time. You know, that he would be the kind of versatile driver of today's generation, even though, you know, he's he's a little bit older, 37 as race car drivers go, still a young guy, but uh, would would be interested in the Indy 500. And, hey, I think he's as uh, interesting as anybody that's come down the pike. Uh, of course, Jimmy Johnson is interesting and Fernando Alonso is interesting and even Kurt Busch was interesting. But uh, Kyle Busch brings it to his own certain level. And, and I think that's uh, news out of North Carolina that in, in fact uh, very much impacts us here in, in the Indianapolis uh, series. So to be fully clear on how likely this is, um, you know, that's kind of the headline that he said, yeah, I made sure that was part of the deal, but going beyond that, uh, Bob Pockris asked, is that important to you? Uh, and he said, no, it wasn't important. But, you know, I, I wanted to make it part of the deal is essentially what he said. But it, he said it wasn't on the priority list. But essentially, I just wanted to have that option. So I don't think this should be presented as a guarantee that Kyle Busch is doing the Indy 500 next year. Because we've heard a lot of guys say, I'd like to do it. And then ultimately, it doesn't come to fruition to happening but this significantly increases the chances because even if he wanted to do it and i think there was a time a few years ago where he did want to do it and he was blocked by joe gibbs so now that's clear he's not going to be blocked and he may also just be playing hard to get he may be a smart businessman and saying i don't have to do this meaning i'm not going out and finding sponsorship if you want to call me and hire me because he did say hey chevy teams give me a call if you want to call and hire me to drive, not say we have a seat for you if you can bring $1.3 million, the going rate to have a really good Indy 500 deal. But if it's just nothing but bringing a helmet and probably also you're going to get paid this much out of this, then I think we're talking for Kyle Busch. And it might not even be for next year. I've always said to do this properly, this needs to get done soon. Great that they're not redoing Fontana. Fontana's still available. If he's going to do the Indy 500 next year, he needs to be out at Fontana in November after their season is over in December and running some laps. Figure it out as far as testing rules are, are concerned. Um, so I, I just wanted to caution everybody that it's not like he left Toyota because there was no opportunity or only chose Richard Childress, but it mattered. It was important. It just wasn't the be-all, end-all. Yeah, but what what uh, Chevy team owner could be uh, making this happen pretty quickly? Oh, it they have to all be on. And I would assume they're calling and saying, we're not asking you to bring any money. We'll find a sponsor for Kyle Busch. So obviously the guy who owns the place, it's in his best interest. And they had conversations a few years ago. So that's number one. 
in Roger Penske and Tim Sendrick and Team Penske. I have to think Zach Brown loves this idea. He sure. wants notable drivers. That's why I said last hour, hey, here's another driver for McLaren to sign. They can sign Kyle Busch to a contract, and they can sweeten the deal and say, you know what, as part of this, you get to test a Formula One car next year, which I would think he would love to do. Test a Formula One car. Absolutely. And and they can make that happen. And the other one, I don't know if Ed Carpenter would be interested or not because they like to stay focused. But if I'm Kyle Busch, I am hoping that Ed Carpenter gives me a call because they have great race cars every single year. And you know what? If you're Kyle Busch digging deep and saying, where do I want to be? You know, normally it's a no-brainer that I want to be with Team Penske. Let's be honest. Uh, who's been the best in the last several years? This isn't one year. This isn't two years. It's three years, I think. Isn't it three years? Yeah, I think so. Where Team Penske cars have not been super at the Indianapolis 500. And considering what Carpenter did last year and what Errol McLaren did last year, it doesn't appear to be a Chevy issue. There is something in the setup, the philosophy, the approach that I still would say right now, Team Penske will have it figured out. And they'll have a couple of cars in the Fast 9 next year. But I know I said the same thing going into this year's 500 and last year's 500, and it did not happen. So we are to the point, if you are looking for your best bets to be given a car that can win the race uh, and start up front, I believe I'm starting ahead of time with Chevy teams, with Aaron McLaren SP or Ed Carpenter Racing. So and that's your point shocking about- to say that. I know your point about Ed Carpenter racing, not maybe wanting a distraction, if you will. They took on Danica Patrick a couple years ago. Uh, That was pretty, that was pretty big. But when I said what car owner would, uh, what Chevy team owner might jump in there, I know I was leading you to Roger Penske, but honestly, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking this is exactly what Zach Brown would do. This is Zach Brown going, you know what? I I don't I don't come to this with 1.3 million. I got 2.3 million. We're going to make this big. They're the ones that can just say right now you are signed, you're bringing nothing and you're getting a half a million dollars to do this race, which might be yeah. enough and maybe needs to be more, but th- this might be the time when Kyle is more interested in a check because he had been open in the last several weeks that hey, I understand I'm going to have to take a pay cut. The environment has changed. The salary structure for cup drivers is not what it was five years ago. And that's why some of the veteran drivers have decided to retire. Clint Boyer, for example, uh, can make a decent percentage of what he would have been offered in a new deal by being on TV with a little less schedule, no chance of getting injured, so on and so forth. And I think if I'm Roger Penske, I am very happy with Errol McLaren SP signing him. I think that would be my preference if I'm Team Penske. They they would prefer Agreed. to stay at three cars. Uh, they might sign him if no one else is willing to step up, saying, eh, this is for the good of the event. We need, if he's willing to do it, we need to have Kyle Busch entered in the Indy 500 in a good car, so we're going to do it. But as soon as someone else says, yeah, we got room for him, and we're going to provide him with a competitive car, I would think that would be fantastic. We'll support you in any way that you can, other than sharing setup information, but just from a a general standpoint. So that's where I would start with. I I think Zach 
Nate Ryan from NBC Sports posted something today. It said, uh, yeah, quoted Zach in his little, little scrum with a few media people yesterday. We haven't decided if we'd run a fourth car in the Indy 500. Long-term as in full-time, I don't think so, but we haven't ruled that out. And this was before the Kyle Busch news came about at that time. Although I would think if, you know, I think we all knew that he was headed in that direction. But I think Zach earlier this year said we would be open to considering a fourth Indy 500 opportunity. So it's fascinating. Let's keep an eye on that. Um, you know, and you, you may need to, you may see the Indy 500 start a little bit sooner next year. I would think you might consider moving it up by a half an hour. Maybe you can get NASCAR, probably not to push it back a half hour, the Coca-Cola 600 to make sure that he can do the double. You know, another theory is though, that he might want to focus on his first year with a new team. It's been not the season that he's been used to. Um, so that's why I kind of cautioned, let's don't guarantee this happening in 2023. It could be a 24 situation. Maybe he wants to get some stability because they're, there's not a lot of testing allowed in NASCAR either, but maybe he wants to prepare in the offseason for that and not have any distractions early in the season. Uh, so something to think about. But I hope it happens because it'd be fascinating. Yeah, it really would be. And we've been we've been a little spoiled. We've had interesting, you know, outside storylines. We mentioned Danica Patrick, uh, Fernando Alonso, Kurt Busch. Uh, you know, it's, this has been... This has been uh, an interesting dynamic to watch play out. And uh, even, you know, Ramon Grosjean and Jimmy Johnson, you know, this year being newbies to the Indy 500. So, you know, we've been spoiled, uh, but Rowdy brings uh, a different element, and I hope it happens as well. Uh, by the way, so that is apparently a third Richard Childress racing car. He's taking over the number eight, which Tyler Reddick currently drives, but already left the team and announced a signing with Michael Jordan's team and Denny Hamlin's team next year. And Childress today was basically saying, ah, we're going to create a third entry and Reddick is going to slide over to that, but no one's buying it. He's looking at a buyout situation to get over, I would think. And, you know, the reality is uh, he could probably be replacing Kurt Busch. Uh, if Kurt Busch doesn't return next year, that may be the easiest scenario in that rather than starting up a third RCR program. So, you know what? Uh, we're going to say that's our news of the day from Circle City Raceway. The final USAC Sprint race in Indy is this Friday at Circle City Raceway at the Marion County Fairgrounds. And the return of the biggest names in USAC Amsoil National Sprint Cars run here in the dirt on the quarter mile bull ring presented by Maston and Kane Warehousing and Services. Brady Bacon, CJ Leary, Robert Ballou, and points leader Justin Grant are all just some of the stars slated to race. Circle City Raceway is family friendly great food free parking and outrageous fun for more information check out circlecityraceway.com and saturday night the craziest and wildest saturday night of the year at the tom wood group indianapolis speedrome powered by lincoln tech the return of school bus figure eight racing an insane trailer figure eight race capped off by the carnage of a speedrome demo derby plus a full night of racing in the historic fifth mile oval the indianapolis speedrome uh, is where you can find all of this and information at IndianapolisSpeedrome.com. Before we forget, Kurt, let's talk about Rookie of the Year for IndyCar. It looked like it might have turned with David Malukas starting sixth, qualified seventh in the race, moved up a spot 
after the engine change penalty on Alex Pillow and Christian Lungard was starting where? Mid-pack or so? 16. Uh, 16. Just beyond mid-pack, and that was going to be enough to make up the five points that David Malukas needed. He had a pretty miserable race. Clearly, the tire wear was not good. They came in after 11 laps, came in another 10 or 11 laps, and already they've made their second stop, and he he fell back to the back. And Christian Lungard with a very impressive drive to drive up. Did he finish fifth? He did. Fourth or fifth? He did. Yeah, fifth. So he's yeah, the rookie Lung- of the year, and he, he earned it. Yeah, he really did. And, and um, you know, the, the whole season, you know, wasn't a glamorous rookie of the year chase in terms of, you know, kind of bigger names, if you will. Uh, but, you know, last year was, was certainly more, you know, star-studded uh, with McLaughlin and, and Jimmy and, and et cetera. But, uh, you know, this one was just – you know, it was. They both had their shining moments in the second half of the season. Neither one was much of a factor in the first half of the season. But yeah, I didn't. I just didn't understand. And I would have liked to have talked to Malukas or Dale Coyne or or something to get a sense for, you know, that that second. What they go red red to start the race and and uh, the, got eleven laps on both sets and you know it just tire wear was a huge problem and um, you know just what their thinking was there. But Malukas finished you know, 13th. And, and uh, so he was kind of never a factor after that made that second stop, as you mentioned, but Lungard had a great season. Uh, you know, he really, they, they went down and tested it at Sebring in late June. And then that really set him up pretty well for Toronto. The team really got a, had a, had a, a spark there in Toronto and looked a little better. And, and uh, just really in the second half of the season, Lungard was on it, you know, went to Indianapolis to the road course, finished second, you know, and did more than that. Truthfully, if you take away the two races at at well, really the three short oval races in the second half, he might have been, you know, top seven or eight in the series in the second half of the year, aside from those short ovals, because the road courses, the five road courses or six that uh, that took place, you know, after that test at Sebring, he was really good. Um, qualified well at all those and raced well. And, you know, again, just kind of overlooked by the championship and so many drivers being in the championship hunt for the overall title. But, but Lungard did a nice job and I predicted that going into the year. I really thought he was going to be one to watch. I didn't expect as much from Malukas, but, but uh, I thought he might've been, you know, kind of the one I was concerned about, but, but he really delivered a, a great season, of course, capped by the moment at gateway when he, when he came uh, up and challenged the Penske's late in the race, but he had other moments too. So good for both of them. I think they both set themselves up well for the future. I, I wish I could remember who I picked. We need to next year actually write down what our picks are. Um, the only one I might have gotten right is this one. I think I would have picked Christian Lungard, but I cannot guarantee that. And I was trying to do a little searching because we all make picks within the NBC group, and Russ Thompson keeps those handy, but I haven't been able to find them uh, at this point. But I think I did Will Power a favor, and this is I'd probably picked him three times to win the championship in the last few years and, and did not pick him this year. So I suspect my pick was Joseph Newgarden, to either win the championship or the 500. Neither of those came to fruition. You know, but the one that it's not a surprise that Kyle Kirkwood didn't win the championship. I don't know that I expected that because we knew that Foyt had a lot of work to do. 
but I don't know that anybody would have said out of five rookies, he's fifth. And even one of them missed a race this year, and he still finished behind Callum Eilat. I, I think the three surprises of the year, if, if you will, and, and the first one, I've admitted my my gaffe, and that is Scott McLaughlin. I had him. I'd said him, no way he finishes top seven or eight. He's probably ninth or tenth. He finished fourth, so I think that's that's one that I, I certainly swung and missed on. Uh, I think Erickson winning the Indy 500 was a huge shock uh, to most people. And then and then Kirkwood, because I, I thought, like you, that Kirkwood – I don't know. Well, I lot as well. I guess there were four. That was the other one I was thinking about, but didn't mention. But, but I thought uh, I thought Kirkwood might finish second among the rookies. I really thought Lungard was going to have a good season because if you think about you know how they were set up at Ray Hall and expanding and and yeah. new sponsorship coming on, I thought Ray Hall's would the Ray Hall team would have a good season and that that they would just kind of pull Lungard along if nothing else, but. Uh, Lundgaard really was the best of the three all year. And, uh, but Kirkwood, you know, he had some crash damage and, and that's something he's going to have to clean up. And I think he will, but, um, you know, he, he oh, didn't have the season. I think people are still super high on Kirkwood and we had a little chat going into the weekend as well. And it, it's been disappointing. Uh, but one thing he can take away from it, he does feel like he's left them in a better place than when he got there. And I did not really have a chance to catch up with Larry Foy, but I think he would probably say the same thing, that I, I think we are further along now than we were this time last year, and that Kirkwood and his experience has put us in a position where the next guy that comes in is going to be able to take from that and learn some things, and uh, they'll have some continuity. And I think that's also... They're going to have some continuity, but I still expect some significant changes with the A.J. Foyt camp if things go according to plan that that might have the chance to take them to a little further step. And with Lungard, yeah, I think we probably did both pick him. You know, the more you think about it, um, we thought high of Malukas and the program, but the one race we've seen of Christian Lungard, he makes the Firestone Fast Six. And the only reason he drops back a little bit is because he has not figured out the tires yet. And, oh, he had food poisoning. He didn't sleep the night before the race. So there was reason to believe that he was going to be a, a little bit better this season. You know, Callum Eilat, let's spend a moment on him and how far they've come. He didn't get a chance to finish it up, but he was still running fifth in this race legitimately. And not surprising, by the way, that he dropped back. There was no way Callum Eilat was going to crash willpower at the start of this race. He was going to just try to get through safely. And the fact that he only lost two or three spots, I thought was pretty good at the beginning. He settled in, even after a pit stop, was still running fifth, and then they they lose the engine. And now he's going to have a teammate for next year. So that's been confirmed now. I hinted to that a little bit last week, but now we know that for certain, that uh, they're going to have a teammate. And there are quite a few options there. Maybe I'll save this a little bit for next week or or the next segment, but we'll have some time to chat on that next week but a, but a, a really solid season for Callum Eilat. Yeah, I agree. It's uh it's one of those, you know, moments in the race where you could kind of hear 
the race community, the fans of this sport, just kind of, you know, kind of uh, sigh in disappointment because, you know, Callum has really endeared himself to the fan base. He's he's likable. He seems to be smiling. He has some different way of delivering his information, which kind of makes you listen a little bit closer. Uh, he just he's got a good wit to him. You know, he we have a lot of drivers who do you know good things, but just, you know, Callum, Callum has made himself available in public settings and, and really is always there for the chat. And, uh, I think he's really become a popular young driver in this sport. And I think he'll be here for some time. Mike Wilson, 2424 asked about Kyle Busch. So we've addressed that and talked about that. Jeremy from Harrisburg says, I think the only question on everyone's mind is where does Mark Plord stand on super license points? You're going to need to Google Mark Plord, but I think he was a fictional internet character that they made up a resume for several years ago uh, is my recollection of Mark Plord, but not a real racing driver, but it's an inside joke that I'm not fully inside on, but I know a little bit of where's the F one ish or where's the finish asks what's been your favorite moment from this amazing year of IndyCar racing. Well, do we say beyond the Indy 500? Yeah, I think you have to go beyond the Indy 500 just a little bit. And, and, uh, I, you know, I'm always, I'm always a big oval guy. So any race like at Texas or, or Iowa was really interesting to me. Um, I don't know. I, I, I guess I'm going to have to, to chew on that one a little bit, but just, you know, the way Will's handled himself has been, has been really interesting. A signature moment, um, I don't have it just at the moment. So the Texas one came to mind with a last lap pass for a win on an oval. That's really, really uh, impressive. And the race was better than, than we expected. I might say, and this would just be me, my favorite moment was the Toronto race. Uh, and it's biased because I was in the booth and, and called Scott Dixon tying Mario Andretti's record win. So that was cool for me. If I'm just a fan, maybe I don't put that quite as high, but I still would. And and I tweeted something along these, this range too. You know, I'm not rooting for anybody because Joseph could have won the championship and I would have been super happy for him on and on and on. That's one of the things that I like about not working for a specific team like I did in previous lives with the Pacers and Colts, where you either win or you lose, and that's it. Uh, you know, when, when you're involved in motorsport, you get to agree to winner every single week, and you're involved with that, and somebody is going to be extremely happy. And that's kind of the way I generally feel about winners. But in that case, too, with the Toronto win, I wanted to see Dixon get another win. It had been a little while. I was tired of talking about it, that it had been a little while because he's too good for that. So I was, I was happy for Scott that that ended right there. Well, you know, from a, this has really been a historical season from when you think about, you know, not only Dixon's uh, moving up the charts, but will power breaking Mario's pole record, you know, at Indy 500, you had the fastest pole speed in the race history and the fastest front row and the fastest field. And, you know, just a lot of things kind of like that Dixon and power, both extending their consecutive streaks. Dixon holds the record with 18 straight years with a win. Power's now gone to gone to 16, you know, so there was, you know, the closest street circuit finish in history with, with uh, Nashville being great. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of good things, a lot of great racing. I guess the moment that, that, that I think defined the season 
is not a good moment. And that's, you know, Dixon coming to pit road with 25 laps to go and leading yeah. the Indy 500 and, and getting a pit speed violation that just a microsecond really of a, of a mistake, but a mistake nonetheless. And, you know, the, the computer reads it, it's automatic and, and he served his punishment, but it really not only altered the Indy 500, but it altered the series championship. He finishes 21st instead of at minimum finishing in the you know first, second, or third. So I think that'll be the kind of the defining moment for me, uh, but I don't know that that counts as a favorite moment. So I would go with you on, on, uh, on the Texas finish really as, as kind of the thrilling moment of the year. And I got three others. Scott McLaughlin winning from pole in the opener, showing people that Shocking. he really does belong here. Uh, that that solidified things. And just the fun of climbing out of the car, fall, falling off. And Scott McLaughlin can pull that off better than anyone else. Self-deprecating, and he's now made that his signature move, that he does the roly-poly, I'm told, not a somersault, after he, he wins a race. So that was cool. And the other two were non-race events. Will Power 67th and 68 poles. 67, I was standing there as he climbed out, and that was very, very special. 68, even better, because Mario came up to greet him. And if you didn't watch that on Peacock on Saturday afternoon, you need to go find the re-air and watch the final few minutes of that. Because of that circumstance, and it was combined in this case, because of what it meant for the championship. Uh, that, you know, and it, as Will said... I wasn't concerned about that at all. I only thought about that if someone asked me. Otherwise, even though that's been a specific goal, it wasn't here. It's about the championship, and I need the pole for the point and to be in front of everyone that's chasing me. And then after that, I can let the rest of this sink in a little bit. But what a season it's been for willpower. 68 poles and now two championships. And by the way, the next time he wins, he'll tie Michael Andretti for fourth on the all-time win chart. So we'll celebrate another special milestone likely sometime next season. I've uh, got a lot of things I still want to get to. We'll talk about television ratings. They came out today and much more on the way. Trackside 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Hi, this is Scott Dixon, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Lee 23 at Kurt Cavan. If you want to sneak one in, we were talking about favorite moment of the year. Uh, Kurt, you had a good mention in between segments there. Maybe not favorite moment of the year, but most significant moment, certainly in our world, was... Alex Pillow and the uh, 30 minutes of outstanding radio coverage, play-by-play, -play, as it were. If you go back to that particular date, I think you'll be amused even, even now because... You know, that was live sporting announcements being played out during a uh, radio show. That that was fun uh, that night. And here we are this much time later, and we still don't know what's going to happen. And you mentioned before that Townsend mentioned on the broadcast that I'm hearing $10 million is the asking price. And he, he told me that in the morning as well. Uh, I don't know who his source is, but I know Townsend sources are generally pretty good. I saw Jenna Fryer, the Associated Press, tweet, it's half of what it was originally. So that, that kind of tells you more that, that that might be what the asking price is. And it's one of those kind of bleep you numbers. You know, we all have a price on some things. If somebody asks you to do something or would you be willing to, to work for this, what would the price be if you're a freelancer? And if you don't want to do it at all, you throw out an absurd number, 
And if they're silly enough to match that number, then you say, fantastic, I'll suck it up and I'll do it. And it kind of sounds like that's what this has been in that regard. Um, so, you know, maybe it did start at 20 million, maybe it didn't. And if it's at 20 million, it's because, you know, take a hike. I've got the legal high ground. You're not getting him. So where does it go from here at this point? It just would shock me if if it if it goes to trial, then that doesn't help anyone because there no one's going to have the use of Alex Pillow. And, and as Zach Brown said, we're now at a deadline. If Alex Pillow is going to become free and have a job with his team next year, it has to happen by the end of this month. And then that takes us back to the Felix Rosenquist announcement, which apparently wasn't a real announcement. Or is it just that Zach Brown is doing Felix Rosenquist a favor? It was announced that he'll stay and he'll either drive the seven or he'll move to Formula E. Now it's been confirmed that he's not going to move to Formula E, that he's welcome to stay in IndyCar. And Zach says, we need to know by the end of this month, everyone believes that that's when the original option date was. Uh, up until September 30th, or we lose the rights and he can sign with someone else. Is that because they didn't really sign it? Or that Zach Brown's just being a good guy and has found someone else that he finds acceptable in Formula E? I think either one of those are possible, maybe even the second option out of that. But Felix Rosenquist, Kurt, has gone from someone that was willing to accept Formula E because he needed a job, even though he wanted to stay in IndyCar, to now potentially, if he's free, having three other options for next season or so. Potentially. Well, potentially. I don't know how many of options he really has, but obviously the Hunkos-Hollinger bunch, particularly Callum Island, has been lobbying for him. Uh, so that would be one in the second car of that team. And obviously if Alex Pelot were to leave the 10 car, you would have to think, if you're Felix Rosenquist, uh, that looks very attractive and certainly knows the the scenery at Chip Ganassi's team. So that would be one. Uh, there may be others. Well, and, and the other would be the 26. If Colton Herta oh, gets his super license, so there's three very clear ones. Plus, I think there are one or two more that would be possibilities that we're not really hearing of yet. So... There's still some more movement, potentially. I don't know for certain, but I think there's some some other things that are out there. Uh, and, and then let's speak on Colton Herta. I have no idea where the super license thing is going to go. Um, I don't know that anyone can really predict this at this point. There, He didn't finish eighth like he was. He finished 10th or tied for ninth. So I don't know how that works on tiebreakers. So he may need six or seven super points. I haven't done the math on all of this at this point. So you can get one from doing free practice one the rest of the year. I think they've said he's not going to go run a junior formula series in the winter, which he could go do. And this kind of shows how out of whack it is could win that championship or finish top three or whatever and get the necessary points. It's probably going to take someone to make some adjustments to make him available. Uh, but I don't think it's a done deal. Even though the head of formula one says we're not going to make any changes I get the impression that there's still a chance he's informing the one next season. I know the Andretti camp is saying we don't expect to make any changes, but boy, if he leaves, where does that leave them? Yeah, it's, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, there are probably some options and you start with Felix, but, uh, I, I think, 
I think if I had to, and I'm going to totally change my tune from where I was just a month or so ago, but I think it's pretty, pretty likely, if not more than likely, that Pelo stays in the 10, Herta stays in the 26. I think that, to me, is where it feels like now, because I think, you know, the lawsuit, it's not going to go to a lawsuit, and it feels like to me that that McLaren's decision timeline-wise is going to come before Chip Ganassi changes his tune. Uh, I think, you know, I think Zach Brown's ready to move on and do something else uh, and do what they had originally planned. So he keeps Felix for another year, and, and then he, if he wants Polo, he gets him after that. And I think Hurd is not going to be able to get the points he needs. Uh, I just think there's too many obstacles to overcome to make that happen, you know, in the time that's left. I think the key is what does Chip Ganassi want? If he doesn't want Alex Pillow in his car, then he negotiates, plays a hard of a bargain as he can, and takes what he can get. And I, I got to believe about $2 million is the most that someone's going to pay, and maybe it's not even that. It may be to the point, considering Felix has done well, and you need someone that fits in with the team. We also know that not everybody can drive their car. We've seen that. That is a gamble to put someone, and you're, now you're going to put two new people in that program. If if you do that with Polo and Rossi, I'd feel better costing no money in many ways, having Felix Rosenquist, who Pato Award likes, and they, they get information from each other that seems to work. But if there is a price involved, it can't be more than a million and a half or two million, no matter how much money McLaren has. Everybody has a budget. Everybody has to answer to things. And I don't – the only way that Chip Ganassi accepts that is if he just does not want to see Alex Pillow ever again and says, I'll take whatever I can, and I'm going to go make a buyout offer to Dale Coyne for David Malukas. Or I'm going to just take Felix Rosenquist because I'd prefer to have Felix Rosenquist back in our camp. So Chip Ganassi is the person that controls all of that. Now to Malukas. So someone that I would consider one of those for your story that would say, you get this source, it's one source, it's good enough. Said it's 100%. I will be with Dale Coyne Racing for next season. And Henry Malukas said that uh, that they're not going anywhere for next year. And, and after all of that, I had a few people tell me, yeah, but that still doesn't make it 100%. I think it's 100% that there's an announcement and there's a, a signing sometime in the near future. But if someone wants to buy out the contract and get all parties to agree, that could change. Is it likely? I don't think so. But I don't know that I can 100% say that's where he'll be driving. And especially if the 26 and the 10 are open next year, that could change things. The 26 doesn't make a lot of sense. I don't know they want another a third young driver. But if they can't get Rosenquist and Herta were to leave, I think I'd go back to Ryan Hunter Ray and ask him to come back. I don't know where mm-hmm. I'd go. I, I think Marshall Pruitt wrote that there have been outreaches. I mentioned Ricardo last week because they not only need someone to help lead the program, they need marquee names. They they have been used to, yes, they have Mario and Michael in the, in the tent and available, 
but they have always had Indy 500 winners and champions. Honoré's gone. All right, you still had Alexander Rossi. You don't have him. Now you don't have another Indy 500 winner. Uh, I heard Takuma Sato's name being thrown out there a little bit. I noticed that Rick Ware retweeted something about, you want to come back next year to Takuma's season-ending tweet today or something along the lines uh, from that front. But there's not anyone out there. Ricardo would fill the marquee name aspect, but I think it was racer.com that said everyone inquiring about him has found no reciprocal interest from Ricardo. So don't count on that at this point. Um, Santino Ferrucci is going to get some looks for some people. Does he have enough veteran experience to qualify for that seat? Probably not ideal from the Andretti camp, but I do think he would be on that list for Hunko's Hollinger. Uh, I, I think there are some others, maybe a, a second Foyt car, depending on what Dalton Kellett is doing for next year. I think there's some possibilities for him, but it's all very fascinating. And the good thing is we have um, much time to still consider where this is all going to go and we'll continue to do that. We'll see what we missed coming up in just a moment on Trackside. Full power, and you're listening to Trackside. Final segments, uh, Kurt. We didn't even come close to getting through everything we need. So, uh, the good thing is, we've got some time, and we're going to put a big list together and all the scenarios, and maybe just make some bold predictions next week. What do you say? Yeah, yeah, I think we can make bold predictions. And I'd like to do, whether it's next week or the week after, do kind of a through the field on our own, because I think there are Ooh. some drivers. I mean, I, I don't know that I heard Jack Harvey's name mentioned after the Texas race. I mean, uh, on this show, on NBC, if there wasn't a high V commercial, which, by the way, didn't even have his name on it for some reason. I thought it did earlier. But anyway, let's do it through the field. Yep, there's still some things uh, percolating throughout the paddock, so uh, more of that will be discussed. We'll have a schedule pretty soon. NASCAR schedule is coming out tomorrow. I, I don't know when the IndyCar schedule is coming out. I think it's done but I'm not certain that everything's been signed, but it wouldn't surprise me to see something come out in the next week or so. So we'll have an eye on that and much more next Tuesday night at seven o'clock for Josh and Kurt. I'm Kevin. Thanks for joining us. 93.5, 107.5, the fan.